In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Let's talk then about those migration figures. It's going to come later this week. And after that 600,000 record last year, we are now expected to see 700,000 net arrivals in this country. That's more people arriving in this country than leaving this country. This, we're told, is due to a rise in the number of foreign nationals extending their visas. This, though, is despite decades of pledges from politicians on all sides, but particularly from those who've been in power the last 13 years, to cut the number of people arriving to live here in the UK. Well, still with me in the studio is Tom Slater, editor of Spiked Online, and joining us uh, right now also is Gavin Rice. He's a former special advisor to the uh, former Brexit secretary. He's also director of the centre-right think tank Onward, uh, their Future of Conservatism project. He's also written an interesting article for The Telegraph today on this very subject. Good morning to you. Afternoon to you, sorry. After midday now. Good afternoon. Um, it is extraordinary how really migration uh, leaves the front pages. And, and I know that it'll be back on the front pages again. It was sort of driving all of the issues with the Rwanda last week uh, and indeed, indeed even the reshuffle of the cabinet with the ousting of Suela Bravman, the former Home Secretary, as well. To, this week, we are going to see these latest migration figures. We're told with leaked report it's looking like it's going to be around the 700,000 mark. I mean, I'm old enough, I'm old enough to remember the days when we had prime ministers saying things like, we're going to get net migration down to the tens of thousands, so under 100,000. It's now seven times that. What went wrong, I suppose, is the question. Well, um, Julia, I think that's an excellent question. I think what happened is that we were promised an Australian-style points-based immigration system that would be rigorous, that would prioritise high skills and in which overall numbers would come down. And that having left the European Union, we'd be outside of freedom of movement, outside of the single market, and we would have the freedom to write our own immigration rules. That is true, but clearly the points-based system that was implemented under the Boris Johnson government, so that was being drafted as we were leaving the EU, implemented just as we left, has ended up being far more liberal and far more flexible and open than anything, ironically, that we had before. We've had far more arrivals from, from outside of the EU. Uh, and clearly, the, the, the numbers are far beyond what was um, envisaged and far but, higher than they were before Brexit. But there was that explanation about last year's figures, which was, look, these are unique times. Post-COVID, more people travelling than... You know, people basically prevented to travel from travelling for a couple of years. So you're going to get that big boom. But also, Ukraine. Mothers, children, tens of thousands of Ukrainians arriving in the country. Also Hong Kong, yeah. uh, people being offered, British passport holders offered the right to, to travel to the UK. So we were told that these were exceptional years, a couple of hundred thousand plus people who were 
unusual arrivals. These were not, these were not, it wasn't like, a, this wasn't going to happen every single year. So why on earth is it going to go up this year? Well, indeed, I think there is some truth in that. I think, first of all, there was the, the Ukraine scheme. That's a one-off. You mentioned British nationals overseas, Hong Kong, uh, um, uh, and, um, and so on. But then that doesn't explain why we're expecting um, numbers that are just as high or potentially even higher later on. And, and in any case, um, the objective was to get immigration back down to well below the 200 to 300,000 that it was um, that it was before Brexit. The fact of the matter is, it's not just those schemes. The actual policy regime is much more liberal. Yeah. The key thing is that the um, that the minimum salary that you have to make was set very very low at just twenty six thousand pounds. We well per below year. averaging. Well below the UK median salary, which I think is about thirty four thousand pounds per year. That is not consistent with saying that you're going to prioritise people who are high value added to the economy, yeah. people who are high productivity, people who've got high skills or skills that we, we don't you're have You're a multimillionaire entrepreneur. Come on in, the water's lovely. Sure, you especially know. if you're going to create jobs and investment yeah. and employ other yeah. people. But it isn't just the salary threshold. I mean, I think that's something that does need to be brought into line with the UK average salary, um, at least. It's also the definition of what counts as a skilled job. So if you look at the Home Office website, it talks about doctors and nurses, the NHS route and so on, but, you know, high-skilled people in finance and accounting. But then you go down the list, and actually it includes people working in salons and, and, and beauticians and people working in hospitality mm. and leisure I mean, there's a skill, well. certainly a skill. I'm not saying it's are, unskilled. Are you highly skilled in the sense of what most people... Yeah, we're, when, we, when we're expecting highly skilled people, we're thinking of engineers and, you know, aeronautical experts and things like that. Tom said, to we come to you, look, look, we're both Brexiteers, you know, you're a Brexiteer, I think, uh, as well, Gammy. It wasn't you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, yeah, still, still the blessing. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, no, no one I knew who campaigned or voted for Brexit, Brexit was saying, oh, you know, we want to close the doors, mm -hmm. no foreigners. It wasn't about that at all, it was about us having control. Government after government had said to us, there's nothing we can do because EU open borders and people can travel and work here, we can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But actually, they have had cruel control over the number of people coming from outside the EU. And again and again, year after year after year, long before Brexit, and certainly since, they've basically said, it's all, I mean, it's weirdly both an open-door policy, it feels, to some people to come. And yeah, everyone will have heard stories about people who are, for instance, married to a foreign national. They've been unable to bring to the country because they don't meet this... This, uh, this salary threshold, even though they're a Brit, married to someone from abroad, perhaps even for years, and they can't come to the country. Something's just going horribly wrong here, isn't it? It's, it certainly seems that way. And I think you're completely right to suggest that people didn't vote for Brexit because they wanted to pull up the drawbridge. What they were concerned about was control, fundamentally. And also, there was clearly, if you looked at the polling evidence, widespread concern about the, the rates of the numbers and so on. So we've got the control part, although it seems like the, the government is currently incapable of controlling anything, you know, any kind of policy yeah. area. I mean, that's one of the big problems in this in this piece is the fact that whether we're talking about the immigration question, whether we're talking about the provision of housing and so on to make sure that not only the people who are already here, but also the people who might arrive are adequately cared for, no one misses out. There's just not much faith in that whatsoever. But I think especially where the Tory party is concerned, this is a party that has tried to look both ways on this issue for so many years now. I think even if they, they say all did, the right things to the voters. And then they turn around and do completely the opposite. Because, I think that's really eroded trust big, in the Yeah, the big business the donors, they do want these people. And the irony being is like, look, okay, if there were enough houses for all of us, everyone who needs a home mm -hmm. in this country, so you weren't paying, you know, 10 times, 12 times your salary to try and get a basic, you know, two, you know, two up, two down home in many parts of the country. Um, You'd say, well, okay, then then we'd let more people in. The thing is, we don't have anyone to build those houses, so we'd be we'd have to let in foreign foreign workers to come and do that as well. Um, but the key thing here, Gavin, is I, I remember 
looking at those figures, that's 600 and 600,000. It was absolutely flabbergasting, that figure. But that's the net figure. So more people being in the country than leaving the country. The actual number of new arrivals from abroad to come and live and work in this country, some students as well, but again, they have to have somewhere to live while they're here. They don't, you know, they don't just sleep on the street. Um, was, was over a million. 1.2. I mean, it's just a huge number of people. Now, okay, so there will be an ebb of flow, like of students, people who come and people who leave. We know a lot of students don't leave. There is an argument that, yes, you know what, we'd really like a load of people who've come and studied, you know, scientific subjects or medicine at a top university. We want to keep those people. They'll be useful to us in the future. But the reality is the vast majority of people who come to this country to work don't have exceptional skills. They're not going to earn even an average salary. They're going to be a net uh, drain on society in terms of their net contri their contribution, in terms of the taxes they pay, but the services they will need. They are competing with other people already here, Brits, and other recent immigrant arrivals for, as Tom says, housing, GP appointments, places at good schools, um, you know, spaces on buses, car parking, you name it. They're going to be there competing. Um, and government after government that makes these promises never seems to deal with this. They pay lip service to it. You worked in government. Do they get it? Do they realise that in the lovely, lovely leafy streets that they live in and the schools that their kids go to, they are not competing with those people, but that other people are? I think um, the government does understand the importance of the issue, both on the illegal side, where the Prime Minister is investing a lot of political capital and time in trying to get the Rwanda scheme working and on, and on the legal side as well. At all anyway. Not to the legal numbers, no, but I do think it's important as a constitutional principle and rule of law that we are able to control yeah. um, the border. I think one of the points I tried to make in my article is that it is true that the elected government does have control over domestic immigration policy, but there are kind of deep incentives built into the structure of Whitehall, the Treasury, the Office of Budget Responsibility, etc., which makes it much more difficult than it should be to bring those numbers down. So the Treasury as an institution likes migration because it pushes up the GDP figures. Yeah. Are we actually all getting richer? No, we're just adding people to the country, but that makes yeah. us look richer than we actually are. And even are. when they do the per capita, so per person are we richer, well, you know, there'll be you know, a few thousand people who are multimillionaires or billionaires who benefit from that extra, and that's shared out, and it makes it look like we are. But actually, if you're a builder or a plumber and your rates have gone down, or a cleaner, or in childcare, or... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And your rates have gone down because other people, or, or you're not able to get a pay rise because there are other new, cheaper labor coming in you're not better off. Well, that's right. And, you know, um, very august institutions like the Migration Observatory at Oxford University, um, the Migration Advisory Council, they've all said, exactly as you say, that the impact on GDP per capita or wages is, is, is about neutral. But if you drill down into that, yeah. if you're someone who is a lower earner, who is, you know, a, a bricklayer or a plasterer or whatever it is, working... Getting around my way, they own a fortune. <laughs> it's, 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 well, it, but the impact of, of, yeah. um, of the economic migration is net negative, for you. You know, remember during the, the Brexit campaign, there was that comment, well, whose GDP, yours or mine? And yeah. everyone laughed because they thought that sounded like an ignorant question. But actually, there's an economic reality underneath that. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of those voters on more modest incomes, medium and below, um, that did vote for Brexit were voting for a different economic model in which they had better wages and a higher economic status rather than How having to compete for the they? rest of the world. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. And yet, Tom Slater, we're told again and again, we've got all these people who are unemployed. We report mm -hmm. out today in front of the Times saying, you know, that, that Rishi's not one of the things I want to tackle in the autumn statement tomorrow, uh, which is going to be live here at 12.30, uh, assuming PMQ ends on time, uh, here on Talk TV. Um, but uh, they want to push more benefit claimants into work. We're told we've got, what, five million-odd people who are not working, not looking for work, lots of people on incapacity benefit, mobility problems or mental health problems of some sort, stress, we're often here, not in work, saying, look, you're going to have to start looking for work at least, otherwise we're not going to pay you benefits. But we've had all those threats before. Does anyone even believe it? And why have we got all these people not working when there's a million job vacancies lying open? Well, I think this is a big part of the problem, is the fact that, as we were talking about earlier, there's all kinds of good things about migration. There's all kinds of good arguments for migration. It's something that I'm generally very positive about. The problem is, it seems to be being utilised to mask a lot of problems in yeah. society. Um, an economy that is hooked on low pay, um, various employers who are not investing in skills or even in machinery and so on. An economy which is incredibly stagnant. If you're welcoming people into a kind of dynamic, expansive economy in which all kinds of new things are being built, that's a very different equation to one which is incredibly stagnant, which struggles to build absolutely anything, in which there are resources which people are understandably concerned about there being fewer to share around. So I think it just it's become quite clearly a kind of palliative and a, a way yeah. to mask deeper economic problems. And I think the longer consequence of that is that it's going to further undermine people's um, you know, support for migration. And willingness. And this is because the of the fact that they're not seeing those benefits or anything. Exactly. The and we've been told again and again, have we not going that you know you need immigration uh, net you know net immigration for for growth. Well, we've had that since Tony Blair came into power. Basically, 1997 is when it really set off. And you can look at the graph. It was basically, we had immigration at this level, and then suddenly it goes whoosh, and it keeps on going up almost, you know, non-stop uh, most of that time, other than 2020, 2021, because people were legally stopped from travelling. Um, but you're in this situation where we're told, oh, we well, need it for growth. We've had it now for all those years. We have seen pretty much stagnant growth in all that time. If immigration, if mass in, in, virtually uncontrolled immigration was the route to higher growth, we'd be doing 6% a year. Yeah, I mean, the relationship between migration and, uh, and per capita growth is, is basically nil. It's, it's neither positive um, nor negative. Um, you know, you know, even, um, you know, even people who uh, organisations that tend to make pro-immigration arguments on economic grounds admit that just importing a high-earning, high-productivity person into the economy. Maybe they're adding skills and they're doing things that 
perhaps we don't have the domestic supply of, um, of skills for. But it doesn't actually make us more productive. You're just adding a higher productivity person to the economy. The effects on domestic workers, on British workers, and, and their real wages and, the, and their per capita growth is, yep. is, is, is very, very small. And uh, my concern is that actually business has become, you know, as we said in the article, um, slightly addicted to low-skilled migration. And that creates a very perverse incentive. It means that they don't invest in technology and automation. They don't That's train been a their big issue in terms of our productivity, hasn't it? Other Huge. countries have been doing that. But again, we're in that situation where we're told, well, we can't get anyone to come and pick our fruit and veg. Well, if you, you know, in which case it's going to rot in the fields. Well, no, you mm. need to pay higher wages. Well, Brits don't want to do it. Well, no, not for the wages you're paying, they don't. Why does someone want to do back-breaking work when they, when they don't have to? By the way, when they're hungry enough, I think they would do, but I'm just old-fashioned like that. If you can get a better job, fine. But if you can't, then you're picking veg. That's how life should work in this country. However, you know, they're not paying very high wages. People come along, they come from, say, Eastern Europe, they, come, they work on a temporary basis. They're living basically sort of in caravans, cheaply. They send the money home. Very different from how most people in this country uh, w would live. Um, but then we're told, oh, but the prices will go up. Well, yes. Yes, well, maybe they should go up. But we're told, oh, it's terrible. You buy your strawberries and they'll be costing far more upon it because we'll be paying the actual cost of them, as it is right now. Instead of paying the extra cost of that fruit being picked by someone on a decent wage um, from this country, uh, we, we are paying the housing benefit for the person who's being paid a low wage often to do a lot of those jobs. And we're simply subsidising those low wages because when someone needs working tax credits, when they need um, uh, uh, you know, their, their housing benefit, was it 30 billion a year we're forking out to subsidise that? When we're not building houses and, we have, and we're having this ridiculous race up with rents as well, we're paying for it anyway, it's just a different way of paying for it. Yes, that's right. And one of the arguments that actually makes me quite angry is when people say, oh, well, British workers are just too lazy to do these jobs, or they think it's beneath them to pick or do a manual job, or, you know, or they, they, you know, that they have no right to expect better pay. Well, I think, I, I think that's deeply unfair. I think a lot of these jobs are not well paid enough, and that's why they're, they're temporary relying. as well. They're temporary, and they're, they're not of high quality. Um, and they're not paying. They're not paying off. People will do lower skilled, more menial work if you pay them the right amount. And I don't think it's right that those employers are relying on low skilled, low paid workers from overseas. And actually, it's not fair on the migrants either because no. they're not being paid, paid no, a fair indeed. wage here in the UK. But we also have the same issue, don't we, with, with highly skilled people? Again, we say, well, we need to import all these doctors and nurses from abroad, largely from the Indian subcontinent. And also, you know, countries which actually, you know, African countries who really need those health workers. And yet, you know, we have. Thousands upon thousands of our own young people with great grades, you know, there, I think there's something like 4,000 um, students discussing A-levels who've got the grades to go to medical school, but they're not allowed to go because we won't fund them. Even if we said, right, we have to work in the NHS for 10 years or something, we had a requirement, we'll fund it, 250 grand a pop to train someone up to be a doctor. Um, but we don't train enough. Then we say, we haven't got enough doctors, we'll have to import them from abroad. Well, we've made a deliberate political choice not to pay to train those people up, not to let people live their dream and do a wonderful job that they would find rewarding and perhaps want to stay in this country and do. And it just seems that we are constantly fixing the last problem that, that the government has created. That's right. And, you know, to go back to your first point about the other countries, the, the, the countries of origin, it's not good for them either because they're getting a depopulation of workers and of yep. skilled workers, and you mentioned health workers, from their countries to come here. We can actually sometimes be very selfish in this debate and say, well, we want these workers come in here. We don't tend to talk about the countries that they've actually come from and the, and the effect back home. Some would say it's immoral, actually. I, I do think it is immoral, actually. It's unfair. I think it's, it's, it's unjust. But the point that you say about training is absolutely right as well. It's a sort of, uh, we're trying to do things on a budget, right? We're yep. not wanting to invest in our own workers, give them the skills that they need to do the jobs in the economy. Yep. We're trying to do it on the cheap in a way that's not fair to overseas workers or to British workers here.
Absolutely. As you say, your article today, uh, Britain's addiction to mass migration is becoming dangerous. It's not good for anybody. Really appreciate you joining us, Gavin. It's absolutely fascinating to talk to you. He's, a, a, he's director of the Future of Conservatism Project uh, at, uh, the, at Onward, the centre-right think tank. Thank you for that.